Amen. What a joy it is to be up here. And by the way, you guys were nice yesterday. You were very kind. I really enjoyed getting to talk to some of the faculty and staff here and then walking around the campus with Brother Herbster, uh, seeing the beautiful campus and uh, having uh, just an opportunity to get acquainted with this place. It's not as scary as uh, the rumors had let me know. Uh, so, you know, where I went to school, there were pink and blue sidewalks, at least is what they used to talk about when I went down to Greenville, South Carolina. Let me, let me share with you real quickly who I am. My name is Pastor Jeff Davis. Uh, for 25 years, I was in pastoral ministry, and then the Lord led me now into this next chapter uh, of missions work. And I've had a burden for missions in each of my ministries and even grew up in a family that was very passionate about the idea of missions. But little did I know God would be directing me in this step. Uh, you know, sometimes we get confused about the definitions of, of missions and being on mission and missionaries and what all that is. Sometimes we uh, think about discipleship and we think about evangelism and we tend to separate all of those things. And, and really, that's almost impossible to do. Uh, because we are on mission, and, and in a sense, we are all to be doing the work of missions. Uh, there is a special class that I would say is a missionary that is different than just every individual Christians, but we're all to be fulfilling the Great Commission. And uh, some churches say, okay, we're going to have a discipleship program, and we're going to start an evangelism program, and this is our missions program, and really it's all be, to be directed towards God for the glory of, uh, of himself personally, because it's not about us, it's not about our institutions, it's not about our methods, uh, it's all for him. And so God was working in my heart and directed me to be a part of this ministry. I put this slide up because this is a way where we can connect uh, through this. This will direct you to our website. It's easy to remember, PastorJeffDavis.com or Pastor JD on Facebook. And I've connected with just a lot of folks. I tell folks that I'm not a missiologist. I'm just a pastor with an administrative and strategic gift uh, that is now shepherding shepherds as I visit with churches and just promote this idea of, of missions. I was asked, are you here to recruit? And, and I have a philosophical problem with that because I don't think agencies should be recruiting. I don't think that churches... Uh, I mean, I don't think that agencies send. Sometimes we have this idea of a sending agency, and we use that phrase. And I, I'm not knocking somebody that uses that. I understand what they mean. Uh, but we all know that it's local churches that send missionaries, and we just come along and assist in that. And my burden is whatever ministry I am is to communicate to folks the need to understand that God's vision is a lot uh, larger than this little red, white, and blue box that we've put him in or this little local box that we've put him in, and he is concerned about every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Let me real quickly introduce you to my family. I'm not going to take a lot of time on this slide. I do this simply because a lot of folks through the years have known my kids and said, oh, you're Jeff's uh, son or you're Jeff's daughter, but these are, are, are my kids right now. And for those of you that are part of Maranatha family, you'll see that my daughter Abby married a Priggy, and uh, she's over on the side there. They're working full-time at the Wilds Christian Camp and praying about the next steps in ministry, where they're going to be going. My son Caleb is the oldest. He and his wife are out in Salt Lake City for the purpose of planting a church. My daughter Bethany and her husband Chris are in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's a youth pastor in, uh, at Friendship Baptist Church and Christian School there. My daughter Hannah is going to be finishing up her junior year at Bob, at Bob Jones University. All of them, all of us, we've been at the Wilds Christian Camp. In fact, if you add up all the summers of our family members, it's been about 40 summers 
And uh, so camp's been a huge part of our ministry through the years. And I have to share these adorable little things. I could you used to pull out the wallets and do this. We can do that in a PowerPoint slide real quickly. And uh, these are adorable little grandchildren now. Looking forward to seeing them as soon as I can. My ministry journey took me from the part of being a church planter. I was the youngest member, uh, charter member at University Baptist Church in Clemson. So I knew Brother Saxon from way back there. And then I was a church planter. Started Harvest Baptist Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And then Marsh Fant came after me. Some of you know, may, may know Brother Fant. Uh, then at 28 years of old, I kind of felt like I needed a little bit more of a mentor and ended up in... Uh, Muncie, Indiana at the Grace Baptist Church there in Heritage Hall Christian School. And I know they've had a lot of folks come through Maranatha through the years. Um, then the Lord led me back down to the south. I was at Tabernacle Baptist Church in Wilson, North Carolina for 10 years on uh, Wilson Christian Academy there and then Oakwood Baptist Church in uh, Anderson, South Carolina. And it was really after being a part of that ministry, having taken several mission trips, that the Lord introduced me to this ministry that was founded 75 years ago by a guy very similar to myself. Uh, Fred Daybald was in his, in his 40s, felt God's definite call in missions, and ended up taking that next step to go down to Uruguay. He started what was called the Evangelical Mission to Uruguay. He chose the name Evangelical because the Baptist churches were compromising down there. He's trying to separate himself from what was identified as compromise or liberalism and uh, started what folks have described for me as basically, they say, it was a New Testament movement as churches began to expand and grow in camp ministry, uh, Bible Institute. Uh, from the beginning, as was said, our focus has been threefold, evangelizing the lost, establishing churches, and of course, this idea of equipping nationals. And as was said, there's such a high... Um, focus on reaching the national person to reach his, his own people. And, uh, and I, I agree, it's a great philosophy and a great way of doing missions. So a lot of our missionaries are playing the roles of pastors, but all of them are playing the roles of disciples who are making disciples. I was down in Mexico, just got back from Mexico. Our missionary down there, Marco Nunez, went when he was 52 years old. And in the past 23 years or so, he's established six different churches and trained pastors all across the Yucatan. I did 12 sessions in the three days that I was working with those pastors. And uh, I was telling, like Pastor Vicente, I said, Vicente, you need to find your Vicente. See, Marco found Vicente was training him, and I was teaching them on how to teach others to study the Bible. It's really a 2 Timothy 2-2 focus, things you've heard of me among many witnesses, some, uh, the same commit the faithful men will be able to teach others also. And so our mission family consists of these uh, probably about 48, 50, I think maybe, maybe it's 58 national missionaries in Uruguay, and then we've got these 18 families that are part of our other um, they, those would be nationals. We also have some Mexican uh, families that are part of this, but 18 cross-cultural families that make up our ministry called EMU International. I'm going to be hanging around. I'm going to be in the library after this before lunch, and then I'm going to head over to lunch. If anyone would be, be interested to just come by, I've got a prayer card. I can talk to you. We can connect. But again, go by our website, pastorjeffdavis.com, and that'll get you connected. Now, I want to ask you a question here today. What scares us? What scares us? Um... You know, fear is not wrong. Nothing wrong with fear. Don't misunderstand my point here. Fear is God's natural response to anything that startles us. It's healthy. If something comes along uh, and, and jumps out at you, it's fine to be startled. You know, we do that. Some of, I used to do that with my, my sister a lot, try to scare her. 
Um, but then there's that other level of fear that reaches what we would call a phobia, something that would incapacitate us, something that would just literally cripple us. And I, I've done this research on this, and I, I had talked with my friend Rand Hummel about some of these things in the past, and I actually saw he did some of these same kind of illustrations. And uh, so I, I kind of went off and used that and went on the Internet and searched for some things, and I thought, well, I know a lot of common phobias, but let's just let's do a quiz or test right here at the beginning, okay? Arachnophobia. What is arachnophobia? Fear of spiders. Now, all of us don't like spiders. Maybe you're the weird guy in here that does, but... But we don't like spiders, they startle us, but then there's others that are just so creeped out, and I mean, it will just cripple them to think about it. Ophidiophobia. It's a little bit more difficult. This is the fear of snakes. Now, I would dare say that most of us, again, would be startled if we saw a snake. I, uh, I walked out of my bedroom in an apartment, we had just gotten married, we were in a basement, it was raining, uh, and, and the, I walked out of the shower with my towel, and I looked over the closet, and I was like, what's my belt doing on the top of the closet door? And it was a big snake that had gotten into our house there. Now, I don't like snakes, but, I, you know, just to think about it, I'm not doing... Now, somebody may be here today, and you're not going to hear a word I say the rest of the time, and I'm sorry. I, you have the... Fo- I get it, but anyway. So, these different words that we think about. Uh, acrophobia. This is the fear of heights. Aerophobia. This is the fear of flying. This astrophobia. This isn't the fear of something hitting us from sky, you know, falling out. Astrophobia is actually the fear of thunder and lightning. Claustrophobia. The guy with the big white beard and the red... No, that's... What's claustrophobia? Somebody knows that. Fear of tight spaces. I was getting on the airplane the other day, and I thought about that. You know, I'm up here in this tube with all these people flying through the air, and if you think about it, it will creep you out a little bit, won't it? Misophobia. This is the fear of germs. Now, I think my wife may be close to that with all the hand sanitizer that she uses, but, uh, you know, there, is, there are people that are just literally crippled. Now, there are these unusual ones, and this is where it gets a little bit fun, because you've got these words that are actual fears or phobias, arachabytyrophobia. There you go. Somebody had heard this before. This is the fear of getting peanut butter stuck to the roof of your mouth. And if that's here, you here today, we'll pray for you, put you on a prayer list. But isn't this funny that, they, I mean, if, if it's you, I'm so, so uh, sorry, it's sad. Uh, but this is a legitimate phobia. Nomophobia is a fear that is becoming more and more common. This is the fear of being without your mobile phone. A blutophobia. How many camp counselors? Do we have any camp counselors here? Maybe you had a junior high kid that suffered from the fear of a, or a blutophobia, this fear of taking a bath. <laughs> you probably can sound this one out. The cityophobia. Fear of making decisions. Scoloniophobia is the fear of going to school. Uh, how many of you are seniors? You're just about to graduate. Rising or rising seniors, you're a junior. Okay. How many of you are here this morning? Raise your hand. Okay, I was just wondering. <laughs> Anuptophobia is the fear of being single for the rest of your life. Yes. This may fit somebody, I don't know. Okay, 
I know some of you know this one, but let me try to say it. I, hold on, I practiced. Hippota monstrosa equiptodaliophobia. Yep, yep, like I said. <laughs> okay, go ahead, somebody knows this, I know. This is the fear of long words, and this is ironically the longest word in the dictionary. Okay, and then of course, as Roosevelt said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Now, this morning I want to preach a message that I'm calling No Fear. We're going to be in Psalm 46. If you have your Bibles, go over there to Psalm 46. Maybe you've seen the energy drinks or the t-shirts usually associated with extreme sports. We're going to borrow that phrase, Uh, but the concept is all over the Bible. And God is wanting us to see something. You know, we've gone through this experience of COVID for a little bit over a year now, and we've experienced uh, folks that have just heightened levels of fear. We've experienced political unrest, all the racial tensions that are going on, the, the geopolitical uh, confusion that is taking place with certain countries. And uh, now with the, you know, insecurities about do we have a good election system here. All of that is a reason for a lot of folks to be uh, fearful. Uh, My schedule was slammed full in 2019. I preached over 90-something times. I was in almost 50 churches. I was in several camps and conferences. I got to travel out of the country several times. 2020, we were very similar up until March. It was actually March 15th. I was in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. It was with Brother Bobby McCoy, Uh, That morning, we had been with a group from Appalachian Bible College. They had gone in and were singing there that day. I had a Croatian national with me that was with me for a couple, well, he's going to be with me for two more weeks, but we had to hustle back because airports were starting to close. Uh, Schools were all going virtual. While I was there, the ABC Ensemble got the uh, call that they were going to be going virtual. So it was in the middle of all of this time. By the way, I didn't know the association. I didn't make the connection with the Kentys. I was with them just just a couple of years ago with some nationals. They live up in northern Indiana. But, but God was working in an incredible way because all of us, all of a sudden, we were facing this idea of being in a tight space. Now we're quarantined. Um, I often read a psalm a day, and one of those psalms that really just jumped out at me was Psalm 46. If, if you know anything about the history of this, this is also called Luther's psalm. Uh, the reformer's psalm. It was said by Luther that many times he would be facing extreme opposition and he would turn to his friend Melanchthon and say, come Philip, let us sing the 46th and let the devil do his worst. The year was 1527. He had been leading the reformation. He was in his pulpit. He felt Uh, He felt this queasiness, this dizziness he was overcome by, and shortly after that, he was experiencing some ringing in his ears, and then he was suffering from some heart issues and some stomach issues. He thought he was facing the end of his life. Uh, He was so despondent having to go through this, and it was this ordeal. He wrote, and let me quote for you, and I, I don't know if you're a Christian, if you've ever felt like this, but remember, this is somebody that we would say is a giant of the faith. He said, I spent more than a week in death and hell. He said, my entire body was in pain and I still trembled. Completely abandoned by Christ, I labored under the vacillations and storms of desperation and blasphemy against God. Okay, sometimes we can reach those points of despondency. Let me me remind you of what was going on at this time. This was the time of the Black Plague, a, a global pandemic that had made its way into Wittenberg. 
Many of his friends were leaving uh, the city trying to get away from this, but he and his wife Katie felt compelled to open their, up their home and make it into a hospital. Folks would come in. They'd lost many of their friends that were moving away, but folks were coming in that were dear friends of theirs, and they were surrounded by death. And at the same time, their one-year-old son or two-year-old son, Hans, uh, came very deathly sick. And it was around that time that he put pen to paper and he wrote a poem that he called Einfeist Burgist Unsergat. Now, I'm not German, so don't critique me too much there, but we sing that familiar hymn now to Frederick Hedges' translation, and it's called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That's Psalm 46. Notice it begins to the chief musician. This is directed towards uh, this. Again, a psalm is a psalm. It's not written by David. It was for the sons of Korah. This is probably written 200, 300 years after the fact um, uh, of David, I mean. And, and this also was a song upon Alamoth. Now, now, we're not real specifically sure what that means. It's probably for the higher registers. So, Brother Mark, you and I probably wouldn't be singing that a lot. But uh, maybe the sopranos, that's what they think. But I want you to notice it's broken down into, into three different stanzas. There are two refrains that we find. The first two verses kind of go together. Stanza one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore... And I love that. Therefore, because of who God is, will not we fear. Though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. Now somebody help me out real quick. What's the Selah mean? We need to pause, we need to meditate, we need to think about what was just said there. This is a, a musical term, reflect back on what was just communicated. And as we look at this, even this morning, we're not going to have time to do justice into where we're trying to go, but I do want to just kind of give you some quick highlights to get you there. He says, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease and at the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear asunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen, or I'll be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This song of Zion celebrating the protection and the power of God, this psalm, which is a part of a connection between 46, 47, and 8, all songs of triumph, we don't know specifically the context of this, but many think it was tied to an occasion or an occasion that was very, very similar to the occasion that we read of in 2 Kings 18 to 20. It's the story of Sennacherib where he comes against King Hezekiah. Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, is coming down to, to Hezekiah. He's conquered folks all over the region there, and he's surrounding the city. Whatever it looks like in this section, it is something very similar if it's not that one specifically, but a tremendous story uh, that is taking place here. So we're looking at this idea of no fear. Let me give you three quick points 
why we need not fear. We need not fear because we can be confident in God's protection. God is our refuge and strength. Notice that word refuge there. The word refuge carries with it the idea of an impenetrable fortress. I put a slide up here at Fort, uh, Fort, uh, Fort Sumter. This was 160 years ago in my home state of South Carolina that the first shots were fired upon that fort there. Uh, 3,000 shells on one particular day that first day, but by the end of the war, it had withstood 11 different bombardments with over 43,000 rounds being fired. And in the, in the end, that fort provided protection for everyone within that wall. So that's what the word is describing here. It's describing this unconquerable castle. Notice the way it puts it in Psalm 61.3. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. Psalm 91 verse 2, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, he is my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. What we're saying is we need to consider the character of God when we're thinking about our fears. Notice he uses the word not only refuge, but he is our strength. And, and this is describing his might. Now we look at the word God here is our refuge. This is not the word Yahweh. This is the word Elohim, talking about his almighty, his creative, his power, who he is, is, is our mighty God. Listen to the way Psalm 18.2 kind of sheds greater light on this. It says, the Lord is my rock. He is my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Again, the character of God is giving us a reason to not fear. And then he says he's a very present help in trouble. Interestingly, that word trouble carries with it the idea uh, of being in a tight space. You're in a predicament. You've been put in a very, very difficult uh, position. And here we see that he's a very present help. He's not on the backside of the universe. He's not asleep somewhere. God is here. He's close. He's as close as he's ever been to us. And now, as we heard in this dispensation, he's here uh, with us in 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 the indwelling presence of God, he's our very present help in trouble. Now, the word trouble, as I said here, kind of carries it with this idea of being restricted or in a tight space. And, and again, you might even say quarantined. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, Paul tells us, tells the Corinthian believers we're troubled on every side. Psalm twenty two eleven, trouble is near. Psalm 138, 7, David admitted, I walk in the midst of trouble. One of Job's comforters tried to encourage him, and he said this. He said, man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. And Spurgeon put it this way. He said, there is a trouble factory inside every one of us, and if we do not get enough from without, we manufacture our own. So I can tell you right now, I don't know what every one of you individually is facing, but I do know that trouble is very real, and most of us feel pressure. We feel the pressure of exams, or we feel the pressure of careers, or maybe you're one that's wondering, who am I, am I going to be single the rest of my life, you know? But here we know that, again, we need not fear because of God's character, and that's where it goes to, therefore, will not we fear. And I hope you see that, that transition. Therefore, because of God's character, we will not fear. You say, well, what happens if we have all these great calamities in the, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea? How in the world does the psalmist even imagine this? Obviously, this is a poetic uh, description 
uh, of somebody's world being turned upside down, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. We know the power of water. Remember turning on the news in 2004 and hearing about the 9.1 earthquake that took place under the Indian Ocean and sent out tsunami that ended up killing over 225,000 people. It says here, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. I mentioned it was March 15th that we were in Oak Ridge. I got back home three days later. There was an earthquake in Utah where my son and daughter-in-law are. They felt things, the, the room shaking and things falling off the wall. Four days after that, the Croatian missionary I was with, they had this uh, over six degree ma- uh, magnitude earthquake taking place in Zagreb. Their rooms were shaking. And so when the earth starts shaking literally, now we fear, but he says we need not do that. Notice verse two, or the second stanza. We need not fear because we can be confident in God's presence. There is a river. Now I'm not going to have time to get into this, but I want to encourage you here today to think about the presence of God. Thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasure. Here's, here are verses that are carrying with it how a river is always this great uh, source of comfort, this great source of provision, this great source of life. And it's present, he's saying. Isn't it interesting the Bible begins in Genesis 2 around a river? Revelation 22, we're ending at a river. And it's a picture of the presence of God. But here's Jerusalem. There is not a river. There's no source of water that is within there. But Hezekiah was the one that dug the aqueduct, the tunnel that is there, that took the water out of the spring of Gihon, took it through uh, to the pool of Siloam. And, and with some and Akram come down, comes down, he doesn't know what's going on there, but, but there is a presence, there's safety that is available for them. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Notice this, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. In contrast to those mountains, God's not going to be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. And again, look at 2 Kings. Let me show you the references again. 18 verse 19, 2 Chronicles 32, Isaiah 36 and 37. That, that night, all, all that he could do, all Hezekiah could do was pray. You ever feel like that? All I can do is pray. The next morning, 185,000 Assyrians wake up dead. I know that sounds funny, but... That's the description. They wake up, they're dead. The angel of the Lord came down. Why? Because God just spoke. Now notice it says a little bit about here, God's presence, the heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. Again, Elohim, the creator God who said, let there be light. That kind of powerful God is present and he is with us. Lord of hosts, the commander of the chief of gods or the commander of all these armies. He's with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then finally, we need not fear because we can be confident in God's providence. God's providence. Come behold the works of the Lord. This is, this is a God who is in charge. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow, cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. All these natural implements of war. And then he says, be still. Now, all of us have seen that, maybe uh, stitched on a pillow, or we've seen it on a poster, and it's just so calm and beautiful. And it's like this, we get, it's almost like the funeral music from the organ we can hear. You know, it's like, be still and know that I'm God. But folks, I want to challenge you to think about the context here. This is in the middle of mountains shaking. 
This is in the middle of the storms and the earth being moved and being thrown, mountains being thrown, these pictures of stability being... And so in musical terms, you know, we have the P, which means piano, it means very soft, the dynamic soft, pianissimo, very soft, and you got piano soft, and then we got the F, it's a little bit louder, forte, and then we've got fortissimo. I believe this is fortissimo. He's saying, be still! In other words, quit striving in the middle of all of the chaos, in the middle of all this political unrest, in the middle of the struggle, stop striving. Know that I am God. I am in control. I have providence over all of this. This did not surprise me. And notice there are even these missional implications. God's at work. I will be exalted among the heathen. What is God doing? You ever feel like that? God, what are you doing? Mark it down. He is exalting himself. You might not understand. I might not understand. And there are many times I just want to ask why. And there's nothing wrong with asking why. But when you do, be ready for the answer. And God's going to say, quit. Quit worrying about it. Let me be God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Many years ago, there was a man that wanted to have a contest to have a picture of peace, a po- uh, like a painting that would demonstrate what would be a perfect picture of peace and calmness and serenity. You know, in your mind right now, if I said, okay, what, what do you think of when you think of that? We would have pictures of the ocean or a mountain with the sun going down behind it. Or like one of the paintings, it was one of the finalists. It was a beautiful meadow and the river and the, uh, the sun going down and the sheep softly grazing. Somebody will write a song about something like that. I mean, because it's just, you can, you can, and you look at that and the audience that saw the painting, they were like, oh. You know, you just want to look at that. And then instead, the next one came up and it was a picture that looked like this. You can see the storm clouds. You can see the lightning and the thunder. And you can see the waterfall cascading. And you're thinking, how in the world could this be a picture of peace? But down in the bottom, if you notice real quickly or really closely down there in the bottom, you see a picture of a little bird. And she's sitting on her nest. And she's very calm and probably singing her little song in the middle of all of this. And what I want you to understand, why we need not fear right now, is because peace is not the absence of the storms. Peace is finding comfort and security in the middle of whatever we may be facing. And we're coming to the end of the school year now. Some of us are stepping off into the real world, so to speak. Some of us are facing some very, very difficult times right now. Maybe some financial struggles, maybe some things between mom and dad. Um, Maybe things even rougher, you know, physical illness. Be still. Let God be God. And let's finish this school year with that kind of an attitude to be strong and be the difference and set the example for those that were going to go out. Find great comfort in Psalm 46. I hope I've given you something to meditate on, to take with you. I know this was an expository masterpiece today, but I encourage you to take this, go deeper into this, look at those stories. If it wasn't Sennacherib, it was something very, very similar to that occasion, but it just fits it so well. And I hope you'll be comforted from what I shared with you today. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for our time together and the opportunity to just look into your word, encourage our hearts to not fear because of the character that you display for us, God, that you are a God of protection, because you are a God that is ever-present, 
and God because you are a God that is provident over everything that we face. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.